five, four, three, two, one. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. All our fans are SOBs, Adam. What are you talking about? Yeah, just let me know when we're recording. I wanted to get that out of my system. <laughs> Jeremy, <clears throat> Jer- Jeremy we, we started recording already. Oh, my name's Jeremy. We are here today to discuss the special double-sized issue, X-Men number 193, the May 1985 issue, on sale February 5th of 1985, with a cover price of $1.25. This one's titled War Hunt 2. Ooh, War Hunt 2. The sequel to War Hunt 1, I guess, right? Yeah, that was X-Men number 95. 94, Giant Size, one of the two. Not Giant Size. 90, I think 94 was 94. Doomsday Impediment. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it was. And, uh, yeah. 95 was War Hunt. So uh, this is, uh, I think, supposed to be like the 100th issue of the Uncanny X-Men, right? So you had Giant Size, then you had 94, and then all the way up through 93. So I guess they're not counting a couple of those annuals, huh? Uh, yeah, well, if you... What was the first one? It was 93? No. Was it, it, it was, was 94? Giant Size, and then X-Men 94. So they are counting Giant Size, but they're I, not counting anything else. I would presume so, yeah, yeah. Hmm. So yeah, yeah. So on the t- on the cover of this guy, you've got special double sized issue. My gosh, you just said it before. It's a dollar twenty five. It's expensive month for kids back in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, but it was worth it. I mean, look at this cover. There's a lot it's of it. Got, got uh, Rogue fighting somebody we've never met before. We've got um, who's the guy in the background with a gray metallic suit? Uh, you mean like those robot guys? Yeah, that's who they are. Okay. Uh, Wolverine <laughs> fighting, is that Thunderbird? It's gotta be. I don't know any other characters in the Marvel Universe that wear that getup. Oh, wait, we've already read the New Mutants issues. We know who that is. Damn it. <laughs> All right, so it's, it's, maybe it's not Thunderbird. But you also have a, a couple of, uh, I'm gonna guess Hellions, uh, although you may not know that if you're not reading the pages of the New Mutants. I believe you got Empath there stalking in the background. You got Shadowcat in the foreground, and then who's who's the uh, other Hellion girl? Uh, roulette. Roulette, right? She's got the luck power. She's like long yeah. shot, pre long shot. Yeah, she's got a uh, she's got a little roulette chip in her hand to signify her luck based powers. And then uh, you got Nightcrawler bamping around. He's he's really not pr- providing much value in this cover. Looks like he's getting shot. It does. Actually, and then you got Colossus there. I, I didn't notice him originally, but he's back there and he looks uh he also looks ineffective. <laughs> well, he's about to take on about six different uh robots. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh... But it, it's action packed. There's a lot going on here. I will say that it's certainly not my favorite cover. It's I don't think it's really even poster worthy, um, but you know, whatever. Okay. Honestly, I feel that way about most of the Jr. Junior covers. Um, some of them are really good, but I don't know that any of them are T-shirt worthy. Yeah. No. Anyways, he's got some, but this isn't one of them. Uh, so let's open this thing up. This thing is written by Chris Claremont. It's uh, drawn by John Romita Jr. and Dan Green. Tom Orzakowski's lettering. Glynis Oliver is the colorist, and Nocenti's the editor, and Heem Shooter is the editor-in-chief. Is this the first appearance of Glynis Oliver? No longer Glynis oh, Ween? Oh, you're right. 
Wow. Strange. I'm going to guess 100 episodes ago or 100 issues ago, she was Glennis Ween. Lots of things changed. Yeah, divorce. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, uh, talking about other things that change, uh, Banshee is the person that we first see here. He is out on Muir Island, and he's doing uh, a run. He's keeping his body uh, in tune, even though he's lost his uh, mutant ability. You remember that change that he went through when he screamed so loud that he hurt his vocal cords? Yes, indeed. He is. He's still around after that, which is which is nice because, like in modern day comics, he would probably have his powers back by now. Yeah, yeah. So they're really dragging this out, or maybe Chris Claremont's like, I don't really like Banshee, but. What? I think Chris Claremont never intended for Banshee to get his powers back. I think that was part of his long game was, you know, not everybody comes back from their, uh, from their, from their damage. Which is uh, something I, something I, I, well, I like, even though spoilers, Banshee will get his powers back, but what I'm not entirely (laughs) sure about is how he ends up getting his powers back. Maybe his vocal cords just healed. And I've, I'm wondering if it's a different writer altogether. You know what? Uh, well, well, we'll see it when we get there, but I'm actually thinking it happened during Chris, uh, Chris Claremont's run in the mid-90s. Yeah, well, okay. Everything happened in the 90s that was bad. So we get our first Hokahay. It's not Hokahay. It's Hokahay. I much prefer it when you say Hokahay, though. Hokahay. Thank you. Yes, uh, and a very large banshee is attacked by a very small thunderbird. Yeah, it's true. Perspective here is really, really weird. But uh, he he, uh, takes down Banshee, punches him a whole bunch, and as I said before, Banshee has been doing everything he can do to keep his body in tune, so he's fighting back with all of his might, but this guy that's punching him and stuff, uh, this guy, he's got like the strength of Wolverine. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's what Banshee thinks to himself. Banshee gets the wind knocked out of him. He's he's on the ground, and uh, a man who looks like James Proudstar, the Thunderbird, is standing over him. And Banshee's like, "Ah, oh, laddie, I saw you die." It's true. Then I'm a ghost, says not Thunderbird. <laughs> uh, and unless the X Men do what I uh, say, you'll be one too. And he is punched out. Cut to black. Yeah, man, it's been a long time since we've done a podcast, so uh, I'd actually kind of forgotten that the professor last issue was mugged. That's right. And here we see him groggily waking up, and the first thing he sees is Callisto. Yeah, and uh, he is dressed up in uh, leather and lace industrial garb. This is weird. <laughs> it's it's goth night in the alley, everybody. The professor's I mean, dancing to some Susie and the Banshees. I, I get it because, you know, this is how the Morlocks dress, but why would they dress him like this? Yeah, I mean, it's not like the muggers actually kind of you know, ripped his clothes. Or maybe, actually, there was a lot of blood. So maybe the professor's suit was so blood-soaked that they're like, we got to change him because it's disgusting. Even we Morlocks have standards. So <laughs> she changed him into the only thing that they had, which was, uh, you know, studs and leather. You know what we have? We have, this guy would look good in a size 9 leather strap. We got a few of those in the back. I'm actually surprised Callisto doesn't have like a leash around his neck. That's she. He's got the little uh, the kind leather choker, so he can definitely. There's probably an attachment waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, and even the professor, he kind of he's like, "What, Callisto? What? What's going on here? Where are my clothes? What's going on?" Good grief, woman! What have you done to me? She saved your life, uh, or she saved his life. 
Um, the Morlocks found him, and I guess there's a Morlock healer. Uh, I bet you his name is just Healer, but uh, he... yeah, we, we we've seen him a few times before. He's always um, he's always comes in in a pinch, and I feel like Chris Claremont is realizing that and kind of takes him off the table at this this moment in time. Right. So Callisto explains that the professor was so far gone that clinically he was probably even dead. It took everything out of their Morlock healer to uh, save him. They didn't even think it was worth it, maybe. Uh, and the healer guy, he's going to be out of commission for quite some time because it took a lot out of him to do the healing. I feel like that's a that's a plot device in order to just stop allowing the healer to heal everybody. He's already healed Rogue, Colossus, and now the Professor. I, probably a couple of people in New Mutants. There's one thing here that I didn't... Yeah, you're right. And we've seen some of those, too, uh, in earlier episodes. But there's one thing here that, that I don't quite understand, right? The Professor's like... Uh, uh, let's see. He doesn't remember what happened, so he says something did happen, and it must have been serious. And that's when Callisto says, "I've always admired your gift for understatement. Last night you were beaten nearly to death." And then he, she goes on about the healer. My question though is, how uh, has she always admired the professor for his un, uh, understatement, his gift for understatement? She's been studying him. You know, she sneaks into the mansion at night and watches him while he sleeps. <laughs> Right, because you're, you're following what you're picking up. What I'm laying down here, right? The professor and the and Callisto, to the best of our knowledge, has never met face to face. Yeah, they, I I feel like they probably have met at least once. But yeah, there's definitely no reason for her to always admire her gift for his gift for understatement, unless she watches a lot of TV and she's always tuning into those Professor X debates. Yeah, uh, that guy's really understating. <laughs> that could be. That's the only other explanation because. It makes sense that when Storm defeated Callisto in the alley, she would have filed her report, and then all of the X-Men would have read the report, including the Professor. So for the Professor to say some quip over to Callisto would make sense, but for her to say it back means you're right. She's watching him on TV saying, ah, oh, this guy, he's got a gift for understatement, I'll tell you that. Uh, she is heavily influenced by the newscasters afterwards who were always talking about, oh, that Professor, what a... What a what a what a what a gift for understatement he has, and she thinks to herself, "Yes, yes, he does, he does, doesn't he?" Uh, Callisto gives the professor a broken cup from the 1939 World's Fair, which I mean, what are these Morlocks doing? That's an antique. I bet you they could sell that thing for a couple bucks. Yeah, that's a collector's <laughs> item right there. Uh, Derek Hill on the chat, he says that the Morlocks probably get their uh, wardrobe from Hot Topic, and uh, I agree. I think that's a good. <laughs> Good observation. So this is where the uh, Callisto, you know, she goes on with the story about the healer and everything. So they, she takes him down to the alley, um, and the professor says, like, so, oh, so this is the alley. I've only heard about it through the X-Men's description. So, right. So the professor, we've never met. I've never been down here, and I'm going to acknowledge that. So that happens. Okay. So we're definitely going for the TV solution. <laughs> uh, and then Callisto, despite, you know, ordering the healer guy to save the professor's life, is like, uh, any other time, Charlie, and we wouldn't have let you near the place. We may all be mutants, but we ain't friends. Which is totally rude. Like, what's the professor done to Callisto? I, I think she just has a beef against the X-Men. So, and, and, and she goes on to talk about it. She kind of talks about how even though Storm is a human now, she, uh, she's not able to get the leadership back from her until she turns back to a mutant. So there's some sort of... Uh, uh, law abiding going like like the the, the morlocks have a, a code of ethics and and they're going to keep storm as a leader even though she's human because it wouldn't be right for callisto to take it back now it's interesting i, I like that element of this yeah it shows that callisto's got honor uh, which i guess we, we kind of knew before um 
She, she goes on to say, Callisto talks about the uh, Morlock tunnels and how they go all through Manhattan. Uh, and there's even a point that reaches very close to the mansion. Um, so that's a little plot device that'll come into play down the line. Which supports my theory that she has been watching the professor. Totally. That totally makes <laughs> sense. So uh, they get to a train and Callisto's like, I can give you a ride home <laughs> in my train. Mount up. I'll drive you home. Yeah, so they got no resources, but they've got a locomotive engine that they can drive from Manhattan to Westchester. And I don't know geography that well, but I'm pretty sure Westchester is pretty far away from Manhattan. They got a lot of mutants, though, Jeremy. And I'm thinking that they're able to power this train by a mutant, and they're able to uh, traject the plane to places where uh, the train to places where it may not necessarily be able to go um, with another mutant. So, <laughs> or, or Morlocks, you can explain everything away with the Morlocks. True enough. Maybe maybe they power the uh, train with the bodies of dead Morlocks. Yes, that's much more morbid, but uh, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's when Sunder runs up and he's like, Callisto, Annalise kid, somebody shot him, murdered him in cold blood. So this emphasizes the point that Callisto has been trying to make to the professor this whole time is that like we're different, we're persecuted, we're hunted. And look, just while we were having this conversation, Annalise kids were killed. Do you see... There's a war, and we're gonna fight it. So does the, does this ever get mentioned again? I mean, obviously it, it dovetails into a story, but does Annalie and her kids ever have any actual repercussions other than this being the opening of a of a new thread? I, it's exactly that, Adam. It's an opening of a new thread. Um, they do get mentioned for sure, but just in the sense that Annalie no longer has her kids. Do we even know who Annalie is at this point? That's what I was wondering. That's why I ask. I don't know oh. who Annalie is. I do from future issues, but I don't remember or recall if we've been introduced to her yet. I, I don't believe we have, but I'm very forgetful. Moving right along here, in the Rocky Mountains, uh, Thunderbird is, uh, well, apparently the divot in the mountain from where James Proud stars and Count Nefaria's airplane crashed is still there because he's in it. and uh, he's Yeah, he's pulling a piece of metal out from it, and he kind of asks, is this is this a piece of the plane that exploded that you were on, which I'm going to assume it is. Yeah, uh, I guess. I mean, how much time has uh, progressed since issue uh, giant size number one in this? I mean, Kitty's had at least one birthday, so it's probably been at least a year. Yeah, a year, two years, something like that. Okay. All right, that's fine. Uh, so so he, he kind of has a flashback, although I guess I don't know. I guess he's maybe using his imagination to be like, oh, Banshee... Is this the place that you came where you didn't save my brother, you dirty murderer? Because he sees a flash of Ban- Banshee in the exploding airplane. Yeah, this is I, this is the power of comics being able to show and tell at the same time. And, and so, uh, Roulette and Empath show up. Remember them from the cover? I do. But before he shows up, uh, Thunderbird is like, uh, I'm really mad at Banshee, but it's Xavier. He's the guy that started all this, and he fooled my brother with his snake tongue and psi powers so he's gonna pay right banshee is uh he's mad at banshee because he could have saved his life uh thunderbird's life and he's mad at xavier because xavier got uh thunderbird to sign up in the first place adam you've been given a challenge from the chat uh empath is supposed to have a fantastic a spanish dialect so go oh uh wow uh where does he even speak uh, let's see. Uh, hola. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whoops. That's my bad. I got, I don't do a Spanish, but I, you're, you do a better Spanish one. Uh, I, I can't now I'm on the spot. I can't do it. 
Uh, Shirley Thunderbird, even you are not stupid enough to believe. No, that's terrible. <laughs> I can't do that. All right, anyways. I can, I can, I can do like a Antonio Banderas. Shirley Thunderbird, even you are not stupid enough to believe, but it's 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 turning into some sort of Transylvanian. <laughs> <laughs> eh, six of one half dozen of the other. Yeah, so yeah, Empath and Roulette show up, uh, and they're like, hey, ready to do the thing with the X-Men? You can't deal with them on your own. We're a team. Thunder, uh, what, what are we? What is this guy's name? Oh, it is Thunderbird. He's just calling himself Thunderbird. Correct. So Thunderbird Mark II is uh, basically saying that he does not approve of the Hellions showing up, but you know he's not going to send them away. Just don't interfere between me and Xavier. The final showdown. We are Hellions, compadre, and therefore, as our esteemed lady mentor, the White Queen, is so fond of reminding us. Supposed to look after our own. I'm not going to do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was good. That was really good. Uh, No. Uh, So, yeah, the snow is picking up, it looks like. It's getting cold, I suppose. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Empath and Roulette, they're they're, they're, um, talking about their plans. Uh, They're basically insulting Thunderbird like he's an oaf. He's too stupid for his own good. So he's falling right into our plan. Yeah, Empath is a devious uh, mother. And uh, we see more of his deviousness as Firestar shows up and she is totally being manipulated by his empathy powers. One, she has. Yeah. One thing I want to point out, though, is that uh, Roulette says, um, it, uh, she says, and in the process, some of the X-Men are hurt or worse. So much the better. They are, after all, the queen's deadly enemies. Um, so Empath and Roulette, are they are they going rogue or are they operating on the white queen's word? I f- think we'll find out more about that in the next issue of New Mutants. Okay. Ugh, cliffhangers. I think it's kind of roguish, but uh, I think the White Queen is aware of what's going on. Oh, so she, she may just be letting it happen. Maybe she didn't direct the right. action. Okay. And that's when Firestar shows up. Do you remember Firestar? I do, from the limited series that gets a mention somewhere around here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we read a couple of issues on the X-Men comics commentary, Danger Room podcast that's us yeah so you and i we we know who firestar is so she shows up and uh she and empath are an item or are they now she's being heavily manipulated yeah and roulette's like uh, even she's kind of making fun i think of empath like uh I, i gotta admit he's slick but if he ever tries that with me he's dead or he'll cut and, his heart, uh, one of the two firestar and empath kiss because she's under his power and it's creepy and skeezy and empath is disgusting. Yeah. Meanwhile, back at the mansion, the X-Men or some of the X-Men and just a couple of new mutants are in the danger room and they are getting ready to put Cannonball through his paces. The name of the game is Tag. So what the... And in this game... Uh, yeah. So, so Cannonball's got to fly towards the X-Men and all he has to do is tag any one of them uh, and the X-Men get to use any one of their abilities to dodge, evade, or otherwise um, make him try to use his power so that he can become a little bit more agile. Because the thing with Cannonball is that he's invulnerable when he flies, but he has a very difficult time turning, so not very agile. They're working on that. And the first person to affect uh, Cannonball is Colossus, who punches him, uh, knowing full well that when he is in this state of Cannonball-ism... He is uh, he's invulnerable. So so Colossus gives him the full blast of his punch, but as it turns out, that puts Colossus on his team. 
So Cannonball lands after a big uh, smash with a big smile on his face. And then Kitty comes out and says, Peter, you dope. Touching Cannonball is the same as being tagged. Now you're on his side. I am sorry, Kitty. I am not good with tag. (laughs) (laughs) Wolverine, he's like, not good enough, bub. This may be a game, but in battle... That kind of carelessness could cost someone's life. And he swipes his claws at Colossus. Which is kind of, uh, it's a bit much from Wolverine. I mean, that that's not necessary. Well, the other thing that's weird is that Colossus is like, Wolverine, your claws, be careful. Whoa. And he trips over Kitty, who is behind him doing the whole, you know, schoolyard trick. But Colossus, does he have anything to fear from Wolverine's claws? I mean, I know they're um... adamantium, the strongest metal on Earth and can cut through everything. But can they cut through Colossus? They can. And I don't know if we've learned that yet or if that's coming. But, uh, yeah, yeah, we will. We'll, we'll learn about that. Oh, not for a while, though, I guess. Although I guess there was a the fun and games issue where Belasco threw a claw from a dead wolverine at Colossus. It penetrated his shoulder. So there you go. I guess it's already been established. Absolutely. Um, so he, he, Colossus, he falls back down and then the rest of the x-men are giggling and laughing and this is cannonball's moment to strike so he flies in from behind nightcrawler shadow cat and wolverine but little does cannonball know that the x-men knew that this was going to happen they're a seasoned team of professionals so they all phase and teleport and evade and night or cannonball just flies right into colossus's chest yes apparently there was a silent cue from wolverine uh maybe he he was smoking a cigarette so maybe he he blew some smoke in a particular smoke ring and that particular smoke ring uh indicated to everybody that they need to get out of the way like right about in three two one now dead Poof. dead duck 2.0 corrects me it wasn't belasco who threw the claw at colossus it was sim my bad my bad the uh the landscape around them changes to like a space age city we got doug ramsey he's sitting up in the control uh, t- t- uh tower or, or control room with uh rachel summers and uh lockheed so they've turned it into like this whole new exercise like an alien shows up and this is yeah this is the, the, all these characters are from new mutant annual one which we covered and this is that was the first appearance of lila cheney oh yes so this is this is that world that she was uh she was working with those aliens and those are the aliens right so yeah they continue to do some some exercises here uh cannonballs outfit turns into the outfit that the professor didn't appreciate in that new mutants series or no i'm sorry that's the professor showing up with uh callisto and he's wearing an outfit that cannonball would have been wearing that the professor didn't appreciate which they actually bring up and cannonball paraphrases what the professor said exactly and then the x-men laugh ha ha giggle ho ho guffaw hee hee <laughs> Gotta admit, though, I blushed. He didn't. He wore that man suit proud. (laughs) Yeah. So the professor, he's off to, well, get himself taken care of. Meanwhile, in the mid-Atlantic, Aurora is finally on the boat. Remember the last time she tried to leave on the boat? New York was turned into Kulan Gothland. She mentions that. Yeah, so uh, she sees some illusions. She sees uh, a mountain delusion, and she's wondering if it has a deeper meaning. Uh, meaning. And, of course, she's also thinking about her powers and leading the X-Men and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, but from the corner of her eye, a uh, illusion or a memory of her mother catches her eye, 
and she runs towards it, hugs it, and it disappears. And now she's like, what is going on? I'm getting the feeling that this issue is very much a setup issue. We're opening a lot of brand new threads here. Yeah, well, it's a double-sized issue, so I'm just wondering if uh, Chris Claremont didn't want to do a you know double-sized issue of an all-out fight with um, Thunderbird Mark II. So he decided to pepper the first half of this book with... Uh, new threads for i guess the next hundred issues yeah it's kind of it's kind of a it's kind of a little uh a subtle reboot of getting things started again not not really a reboot but a soft reboot whatever they're calling that and it's also a throwback so we get a lot of the the same elements from or in 95 it's a combination they really thought this out is what i'm saying anyways the professor is soaking in a nice hot bubbly bath and uh he is now, he's like, oh my gosh, it's it's hitting me. I don't feel as good as I did when I woke up in the alley. Um, I'm wiped. Yeah, we get a lot of the professor kind of creating this. Uh, he feels like he needs to put on an illusion to the rest of the X-Men. And we'll see this uh, throughout this issue. And actually, I think we see it in the, the New Mutants, the next New Mutants issue as well. He feels obligated to not let the X-Men know. Uh, what's going on with his his near death situation? And he's also thinking that maybe he needs to pull back uh, on some of his field commanding of the X Men, right? Because everything he does brings him pain uh, to the point the phone rings and he reaches over for the pain and or reaches over for the phone and he's doing it so suddenly that he he hurts himself. Yeah, such pain caught me by surprise. Uh, so he answers the phone. It's Nightcrawler. He's like, "Yes, I'm fine." trouble the situation room summon the x-men i'll be there right away and then he's like i share a psychic rapport with the x-men how did i not hear this before nightcrawler called me and this is another instance of i i feel like chris caramon's kind of uh wiping the slate clean a little bit in order to like this is the perfect jumping on point for the next generation of x-men fans yeah, and I don't know if we've come to it yet. I mean, last issue, it was uh, talked about that Nightcrawler's the new field commander uh, or field leader or what have you, and that's brought up a few times, and it may have already been brought up brought up as well. But anyways, down at the Situation Room, they bring up on the computer uh, an image of James Proudstar, and uh, they instantly recognize him as one of the White Queen's Hellions. And uh, James Proudstar, i.e. Thunderbird Mark II, is like, I've taken Banshee prisoner. In 24 hours, I plan to kill him. Hidden him somewhere inside Cheyenne Mountain. You want him? Come get him. I'll be waiting. Yes, so we take the story back to where it began. That's true. NORAD. Mm-hmm. So they're like, well, I guess, what are we going to do? The professor's like, looks like he wants to have his revenge. Uh, so it looks like we got to go to NORAD. Problem is, once we go to NORAD, this is what Wolverine works out. Which, like, this issue to me really is kind of like... Wolverine coming out as the potential leader of the X-Men. This panel where Wolverine does all this surmising stuff, I kind of hated this panel. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because it just felt like Chris Claremont shoehorning in elements of the plot that could have just kind of happened naturally, but like, oh, uh, J- James, James Proudstar has really set us up this time. If we do this, this might happen. If we do this, this might happen. And, and none of it's really concrete. Or there's a third option. None of that could happen. I don't know. I'm not even sure why I'm talking anymore. I'm the best there it is what I do, Bob Futzer. Uh, yeah. Scoot now. <laughs> I'm glad you got all of those cliches in to the one sentence. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is really, this could have been maybe set up as a narration panel. But basically what it's trying to say is like, if we do this caper, we're going to trigger all of the alarms and we're the, the there's no way we're going to do it uh, uh, discreetly. So we're going to be caught. 
We may escape, but then we're going to be branded, uh, branded outlaws, uh, and that'll suck. But we got to save our own, right? Banshee's one of ours. We've got to go get him. Right. So we're, we're, we're setting up the next phase again, I think. Absolutely. So the professor, he's going to, he's like, yep, uh, we got to do what's necessary to protect the estate and the new mutants while we're away. I want us airborne within the minute. So the professor, he's going to come along. Uh, he won't be doing much field commanding, but I think he feels a little bit of responsibility with the whole um, Thunderbird Mark I incident. Well, part of it is that he is not yet willing to let the X-Men know that he is suffering all of this damage. So what would the professor normally do in this situation? He would go along with them. Good good point. So they're airborne. They're fly over to Cheyenne Mountain, codenamed Valhalla, nerve center of the North American Air Defense Command, who is responsible for shielding the United States from any form of air, space, uh, uh, air or spaceborne attack. Um, so... Really, spaceborne? Yeah, I don't know if like the real NORAD uh, is <laughs> has got that in their charter. Uh, if they do, that's pretty sweet. All right. <laughs> uh, but uh, the they the X Men land they do land discreetly. Uh, Kitty is able to sneak in by phasing into like a storeroom or something like that. And now we've got kind of a psychic link between Kitty, the Professor, and Rachel Summers. They're all. Yeah. Trying to keep everybody the professor is the professor is not quite able to uh, maintain that himself, so he asks Rachel to help him out. Yeah. Uh, so using Kitty's eyes psychically, Rachel is able to project an image of where Nightcrawler should teleport uh, through Kitty's eyes to Nightcrawler. So he teleports in safely. Whew, he says in his first line of dialogue. I think. I do like that. I, I kind of like that. I think it gets around the whole Nightcrawler's. Uh, issues with they they set a they set something that they needed to continue but this kind of gets around it in a nice way yeah yeah yeah. i I don't mind it at all either uh and and so you know they kitty and nightcrawler meet up and uh well they're they're about ready to exact the next portion of their plan which is nightcrawler teleports in and out of norad with the rest of the x-men uh almost instantaneously instantaneously which is that's also a Kind of a clever trick. He's wiped out after it, though. Kurt, are you okay? Fine, once I catch my breath, I'll be back, Hammerhaden. As soon as I have a last word with Herr Professor. <laughs> oh, you'd think I'd get more practice parting the easier it would get. I'm really tired. <laughs> I'm going to bed. To quote Kitty Nightcrawler, give me a break. Did Kitty? I guess, yeah, she probably said that. Well, uh, come on, it's the 80s, she's a teenager. All of the teenagers in the 80s said, give me a break. In fact, it was on all the t-shirts right behind Where's the Beef? Don't you remember those shirts? Don't do drugs. <laughs> yes. Uh, mad. Mothers Against Drunk Driving. What was the This Is Your Brain on Drugs? Was that from the 80s? Oh, yeah. Totally with the egg. Man, that might have been late 80s, early 90s. What about I Learned It By Watching You, Dad? Oh, yeah. That was that was the yeah Saturday morning cart, cartoons informed me more about drinking and drugs than uh, anything else. And I was like, Dad, how come you're not teaching me to smoke weed? That guy's dad is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, the Nightcrawler and the Professor have a little conversation as uh, Lockheed sleeps nearby. Um, Nightcrawler still feels kind of uncomfortable with the idea of leaving the Professor alone. Uh, the Professor says, no, no, it's, it's, it's cool. And, um, you know, just, just hurry back. And uh, Nightcrawler disappears. And that's when the Professor reveals to us, the audience, that he is extremely exhausted and he did not want to reveal that to Nightcrawler. And then he connects up with uh, Cerebro in order... I guess they have a portable Cerebro. 
and they he's going to figure out where Banshee is using this portable Cerebro. Yep, but that's when Roulette uh, was uh, she and uh, um, what's this guy? The guy's uh, Empath. Empath. Thank you. Oh, uh, I should be drinking my Optic Blast. <laughs> Anyway, you should be drinking something. I should be drinking something. Um, she, she, they were expecting the X Men. So even though the Blackbird is cloaked and it looks like it's covered in some netting with like some snow on it, she finds it. Of course, she's roulette. She's lucky, uh, and so she throws a disc or something at the airplane. It's one of her black chips from the cover. Oh, okay. So she throws that at the plane, and apparently her luck. Uh, powered puts it right where it needs to be and then like all of the electronics in blackbird go haywire which basically knocks the professor out of commission the professor says (laughs) thank god we got one of those uh empath walks onto the airplane sees lockheed who's about to launch into action but empath is able to make lockheed so scared that he flies through the window uh, and he's miles away before anybody knows the difference. And then there is a psychic battle between the professor and empath. Um, and because the professor is so weak, he is uh, struggling to uh, actually challenge empath. Under normal circumstances, he would uh, cremate empath, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, at this point, he is a roulette person, and she's able to get the draw on the professor, and she uh, sprays him with some sort of gas that knocks him unconscious. Yeah, yep. And so he goes down for the count, and uh, so it was a team effort. Both uh, both Empath and Roulette took out the professor, and they're like, well, he's not going to be out for long, but uh, uh, his psi powers are going to be done for a full day. So even if he does wake up, he's going to be totally ineffective. Rachel, at this point, she's like, Professor! Uh, he's under attack. I can't sense his thoughts. Something's happened. Rachel, I, well, and then we cut right to, I guess, Kitty, Kitty jumps basically from panel to panel. So I wonder if the X-Men are like twiddling their thumbs while this is happening. But she, she bursts into the uh, Blackbird and she says, Rachel, I'm in the Blackbird. Can you hear me? Relay this to the Nightcrawler. It's bad. The professor's alive, but unconscious. There's no sight of Lockheed or whoever ambushed them. And all the sensors, especially Cerebro, have been trashed beyond repair. Uh, now Nightcrawler starts doubting himself. Ugh, I should have known. I should have anticipated. I'm a terrible leader. All right, so Cyclops has his horrible eyes. What was Storm's thing? Storm didn't really have... Oh, uh, she was claustrophobic, but that wasn't really much of a hindrance to her. But Nightcrawler's uh, insecurity over his leadership is annoying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like the Cyclops fear of his eyes level annoying. Because <laughs> this will not be the first time that Nightcrawler self-doubts. It will be the worst. It's like his default position. <laughs> I, I don't know why I'm the leader. I'm so terrible at it. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing I wonder, you know, not to totally nitpick, but like what throughout the pages of the X-Men made Nightcrawler the obvious choice to replace Storm? Was it just the fact that uh, I th- it couldn't be Colossus, it couldn't be Kitty, and Wolverine didn't want the job? Yes. <laughs> he won it I was going to say that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, Wolverine's like, get over it. What do we do next? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a good leader. All right, let's try this. Uh, Rachel, you're our backup telepath, so you scan for Banshee and we'll find him. And she freaks out and she's like, no! And he's like, what? I'm the leader! I'm giving you an all... Uh, okay, I guess she's not going to do it. This is where Rachel reveals... You're really making my uh, my leadership skills in doubt. They're already in doubt. Now they're even more in doubt. I, I don't know what to do. 
Rachel now thinks to herself that, like, I was a hound in my era, and I used to hunt down mutants so that they'd be killed. I can't do this. They can't make me do this. And then she doubles over, and she is not going to help. She is incapacitated for most of the rest of the issue. Uh, Kitty and Wolverine take off, and they decide to kind of take over. Oh, Adam, uh, Colossus says after Rachel doubles over, by the White Wolf, which I believe is the first time Colossus has ever said by the White Wolf in this issue. You're right. You're right. <laughs> okay. C- certainly the first time he said it on a live podcast. Definitely. Definitely first time in video. Well, well maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. So uh, Kitty and Wolverine, they take so off. We, we, we... Wolverine surmises that Ray's got secrets and memories uh, and probably guilt about things that happened. It's like somebody who survived the Holocaust. Maybe she feels ashamed for having lived and for the price she paid to do it. So she knows that he's got, or he knows that she's got ghosts. Yeah, I guess Wolverine would be the person to be able to identify with that because he has the, uh, I don't know, he, he should have been the leader. They should have just suck it, sucked it up and made him the leader. Professor should have been like, you want to stay in X-Men? You're a leader. You, you don't get the option to say no. Sorry. He's, he's more of the parent. We get kind of a cool uh, side panel of Cheyenne Mountain here, which is very G.I. Joe Pitt-esque, where you've got all the various rooms. I was thinking the same thing. It, it's it's They're basically phasing down from floor to floor, and we don't get too much detail of each of the floors. But yeah, it's definitely like one of those uh, Pitt blueprints. Off to the left, you've got a giant, like, nuclear missile, which is kind of scary. Is that a missile or, like, a rocket? Well, I mean... It's I guess a- it's no rad, so you're right. It's probably a missile. Yeah. Uh, so there they go. Uh, Nightcrawler's really upset. He so wants to do well, but I keep wishing Storm were here is what Kitty says. Uh, but uh, Wolverine's like, look, we make do with what we got. And right now, what we got's bad, but we're gonna make do with it. So let's go. Quit worrying. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't say all of those words. So Nightcrawler and Rogue they teleport back to the airplane and uh, they drop uh, Rachel off. Colossus, I guess, is there now. No, actually, Nightcrawler yeah, Rogue is teleporting. Rogue is Rogue. outside in order to uh, protect the professor. She's she's defense now, and. Uh, Colossus, I don't know why they don't bring Rachel back. Yeah, well, she's incapacitated. She's all like, oh, I used to be a hound. So she's like passed out with grief and fear, I guess. Hmm. Uh, see for yourself, Tavorish. What happened to her, Kurt? What did she see? What did she experience in her world of the future to leave such awful scars? You're the leader. Tell me. <laughs> at, the young, at the moment, I'm more concerned with my own future, or our own future. I'm a bad leader. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... Uh, and then Nightcrawler keeps going and is like, this is terrible. Would this have happened if Storm or Cyclops were in charge? To be fair, the mission is falling apart. However, that is hardly Nightcrawler's fault. And it, this like next panel of him talking about it, it really doesn't help at all. Yes. Yeah, so He's like, not a good leader. Exactly. A, a good leader would realize like, okay, everything's falling apart, but for the good of the mission, for the good of the team, I need to keep things together. I need to come up with another plan, even if it's a bad plan, but pretend it's the best plan so I can keep these people's spirits high, and with any luck, we'll make it through this mission. But instead, he's just moping for his poor leadership abilities. Which just makes him a worse leader, to be honest. (sighs) I feel like we're doing a lot of ripping on Nightcrawler here. You know, he's a fan favorite. (laughs) I like Nightcrawler. He's great. Yep, me too. He's, He's probably the most fun voice to do. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so back at NORAD, uh, there's another tour coming by, and one of the NORAD control panels is just like, oh, for God's sake, just what we need. All right, as you can see, this is the Cheyenne Mountain Complex. 
But the visitors here are Empath, Roulette, and Firestar in their plain clothes. And so they're about to start some mischief. And they do. Um, they, they start to create some hot-headedness in the... Uh, well, first, first Roulette uh, causes some of her luck powers, which uh, allows the NORAD employees to spot the X-Men. And then Empath heightens the uh, general, General Morrison's uh, response to that. And they send out uh, these the robots from the cover, SecBots, uh, with an order to shoot to kill. So Empath is basically controlling everything here. There's a full-on panic. People are running to and fro. And in all the confusion, Firestar slips away so that she can uh, enact her portion of the plan. Um... And I think maybe Roulette's helping. Maybe her luck power is just emphasizing empaths, empathy ability. So that, I don't know. No, I think she was just there to uh, help them spot the X-Men. Okay. So the we'll- X-Men, uh, Wolverine and Kitty, meanwhile, have discovered Banshee. Uh, we forgot to mention that Wolverine smelled uh, Banshee, and that's how they were able to figure out where he was. Um, Banshee's alive, but unconscious. He's been beaten pretty badly. I'll lay odds, darling. This is the creep that did it. Step out of the shadows, punk. Fight like a man for once. Uh, Thunderbird knocks Wolverine down, and Wolverine says, Oh, ho, nice move, bub. <laughs> <laughs> You're good, boy. Maybe even better than your brother. But I'm the best. Uh, Kitty phases Banshee free of his chains and uh, she starts uh, rescuing him. Uh, neurotoxin starts coming into the room and uh, Thunder. I think that's part of Thunderbird's plan. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's a NORAD thing or if that's part of Thunderbird's plan. No, um, no clue. It seems possible that it. I don't know. It's probably a NORAD thing. But anyways, uh, uh, Wolverine and uh, Thunderbird here are fighting. Uh, Wolverine's pretty much got the upper hand. Uh, Kitty phases back into the room, and as we learn, as she goes from one room to the next room, uh, she is actually breathing, so once she catches a whiff of the neurotoxin, she solidifies and falls to the ground. She's out for the count. Wolverine's like, ah, you dumb girl. (laughs) Why didn't you trust me? I do like these uh, two panels of Wolverine and Thunderbird fighting. this uh, This is where John Romita Jr. does really well, in my opinion. Just the these, are, these are some cool fight scenes. The action-packed fight scenes, definitely. Uh, you got you got Wolverine and uh, Thunderbird going arm to arm, holding each other back. But then Wolverine is able to use Thunderbird's arm as leverage to knee uh, Thunderbird in the face. So, That's cool stuff. Yeah, it's really good stuff. And uh, but as as uh, Wolverine is distracted by Kitty, who is affected by the neurotoxins. Uh, Thunderbird's like, this is my chance, and he does it. He punches Wolverine across the face. Any other man probably would have taken his head clean off, but since Wolverine's got adamantium-laced bones, uh, it hurts Wolverine, but it really hurts Thunderbird. I think this is the first time we've seen somebody react to the adamantium uh, in this fashion, which is nice. I mean, this will become a mainstay, but we haven't seen it before. So with I the, think. I think you're right. So with the neurotoxins uh, going into the room... Thunderbird heads for the exit. Wolverine is trying to save Kitty, but even the neurotoxin is overcoming his healing ability. So he's like, oh my God, if I stop, if I even think about this for a minute, I'm going to die. Thunderbird turns around and he's like, oh man, look at them. They should die, but I don't want them to die. What's going on? Yeah, this is kind of, uh, this is what makes me think that the neurotoxin is not from NORAD. Um, Thunderbird basically goes back in and saves them, and he saves them partially because 
they had nothing to do with his brother's death, especially Kitty, who he points out wasn't even a member of the team. Um, and he's just not cut out to be a, a killer. But he thinks of himself as a coward because of this, which uh, we'll play later into the issue. Yeah. Yeah, he's self-doubting. What's become of me? I've trained for this. Uh, I got to do this, but I'm a coward. I don't understand what's going on. Uh, I have to slay Johnny's murderer, Charles Xavier. So now he's kind of refocused. He's not going to kill these innocents, but he's definitely going to kill the professor. But meanwhile, across the NORAD uh, floors, you've got Colossus and Nightcrawler who are in sort of like a stock room. Uh, which giant robots burst into. We get uh, we get our first rogue throwing Colossus fastball special, and I'm I'm gonna drink to that. Oh, cheers! I wish I had a had a drink. Oh, it's delicious. <laughs> ah, that was tasty. Surprise, suckers! Ain't nothing can hide or escape from the Secbots. Oh boy, <laughs> are there people in the Secbots, or are the Secbots autonomous robots? I think there are people in the Secbots weird i could be wrong um we'll have to watch out for like secbots getting their arms ripped off or their heads ripped off good point good point so they're like all right well let's let's do this thing uh nightcrawler teleports out grabs rogue and then yes rogue does the first colossus fastball special which you already drank towards or two and uh, colossus takes out i don't know two or three of the secbots and fight scene <laughs> yes there's a lot of robot fight scenes here. One of the robots is able to bind up Nightcrawler in some robot rope. Uh, Colossus grabs one of the Sekbots, and in this Sekbot that we get a close-up, it does look like there are some human eyes inside, and he's twirling it around, knocking all over, uh, over the other Sekbots. Those eyes are really far apart from each other. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a special person. <laughs> <laughs> and so Rogue, I guess they brought rachel from the airplane to the storeroom i guess i thought rogue was protecting the ship i don't know they keep bringing these people back and forth in and out of norad and the uh the blackbird oh okay uh, nightcrawler went back for reinforcements when the sec bots came in so, so maybe- she grabbed uh there's a bamf and she grabs rogue so rogue is back in the battle uh firestar comes in and she is there uh basically to take out the x-men not much of a plan empath has there but uh, she immediately takes out Colossus with a Lennon's ghost. Oh, for the first time in this issue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rogue comments on the heat flash from the girl. She's got to sh- shield Ray, uh, Rachel's body with her own. So I guess maybe they brought Rogue and Rachel so that Rogue could still maintain protection over Rachel, even though they're basically putting Rachel in harm's way because Rachel's totally well, ineffective right now. I think I think Rachel was um, never brought back. Uh, I don't know why, because I would think that they would want to get her out of harm's way. But I don't, I don't think Nightcrawler ever got a chance to bring her back to the ship. Hmm. Well, anyways, uh, Rachel, I'm sorry, Firestar breaches the side of the Norad Mountain with Colossus. Um, Rogue has been protecting Rachel's body, but then the Sekbots come, and they're like, oh, those X-Brods, those X-Brods look pretty much finished. Let's make sure. We cut back to the NORAD General Morrison, who uh, who is now in front of Nightcrawler, who has been captured by, uh, what did they call it? Catchweb. Ooh, the Catchweb. And um, Empath now makes Nightcrawler go a little crazy. Um not before Nightcrawler spots Empath, but uh, now Nightcrawler is able to bamp out of the catchweb, which makes sense. And then he is very aggressively angry and smashing lots of humans around. 
Now you learn what it's truly like to have a mutant as a most deadly foe. No bonds can hold a teleporter, and none of you have the power to stop me. No, because I am Nightcrawler, the good leader, when <laughs> Empath controls me. Right. So Empath is definitely stirring the pot of frenzy and panic within the confines of NORAD. Fire you know what? This is a good story that is waiting to be happened. Nightcrawler has this uh, side of him inside him to be a good leader. And, you know, I don't I don't know if this ever gets touched upon. Probably not because I'm making it up. That would have been an interesting, uh, like, residue or result of this comic is that through Empath's actions, he inadvertently gives Nightcrawler the confidence to be a very good leader. Yeah, that would have been cool. Spoilers, that doesn't happen. <laughs> so, so Firestar is still flying uh, Colossus up into the air. Colossus is like, I could kill this girl with a single blow, but... She is so young, so much like my baby sister Ileana. How can I harm her? I am not good at hurting people. But if I do (laughs) nothing, she will destroy me. What am I going to do? I will converse with her. (laughs) Who are you? Why are you attacking us? Please let me know. I I wish to discuss. Uh, She says that she's Firestar. She's like, you X-Men started this. Empath told me so, and he don't lie. So there, I'm going to hurt you. But wait a minute. And I, Something I guess now wrong. that she's kind of out of the range of empath, uh, she's starting to get back her own mind and realize that what she's doing is a little, a little whack job. She's, I'm not evil. I don't even want to harm anyone. But if I don't do as empath says, he won't care for me anymore. Which I ask, like, would empath really make you think you're evil, or would he make you think like you're doing the right thing? You're you're exacting revenge for something that. Uh, happened to James Proudstar's brother. And, and because you're our friend, you're going to help us uh, get this revenge. And it's not evil. It's a good thing to do. I'm thinking that you don't really think about what it is that Empath wants you to do. You just kind of think that it's the right thing because Empath wants you to do it. Okay. But now I feel like she's sort of getting out of that range and she's able to think more cohesive thoughts around the whole thing. All but right. not, not 100%. So you think that she... Uh, derived the whole, this is kind of evil what I'm doing. I probably shouldn't be doing this. Maybe. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Okay. Anyways, uh, Rogue flies in and she knocks both of them out, grabs both of them, and she's like, ugh, I could absorb her powers. Uh, and then... No, uh, she does She does absorb her uh, Firestar's powers. Yeah. And she says, um, oh, so that's what she does is she runs up there, she flies up there, she grabs onto Firestar taking her abilities, and that's when she's like, oh, Firestar's a nice kid. She's a little lonely, but uh, Empath's messing around with her. Huh, okay, I see what's happening here a little bit. I was a nice kid once. Then I went and kissed that cut boy. To the, uh... And then I became <laughs> well, We don't know that yet. Oh, sorry, spoilers. spoilers. <laughs> back in uh, we Norad. We cut back to Norad, where we have a lot of fighting, and um, Thunderbird has made his appearance in uh, uh, where Empath is, and he's he's kind of yelling at Empath. It's like, why why'd you why'd you have to do this, man? This is like my business. Get out of my business. I don't know why he's from the Bronx, but he is. <laughs> so while Thunderbird is roughing up Empath, Kitty phases up from the floor, grabs Empath's legs, and pulls him uh, into the well into a sub basement. And that's when Wolverine comes out and says, "We're gonna have a little talk." You can try your power on me, and it might work. But if it doesn't, snick it. <laughs> he fainted! Like I figured. No guts. So Empath is out of the picture, so nobody is under his control anymore. Uh, that immediately affects Nightcrawler, who uh, starts bamfing roulette around the room in order to take her out of the picture. 
um, the humans are still a little riled up and they're shooting at Nightcrawler. They don't realize that Roulette is actually a bad person. So they think that uh, Nightcrawler is just being a jerk about it. Um, Thunderbird kind of feels like this whole thing is a disaster. Um, he almost gets pulled through the floor by Kitty Pride, but his uh, his skills are too good for her, and he's, he manages to dodge out of the way. Missed him, Wolvie. Sorry, he was too darn fast. No sign of Nightcrawler or Roulette either. So uh, he hopes that means that Kirk got away. Wolverine's like, we got to... He lights up a cigarette, which seems like an odd time. Like, okay, it's battle time. Trying not to get noticed by the NORAD folks. This is what we're going to do, Kitty. <laughs> seems like the wrong we, time we to be know, smoking. We don't know this about Wolverine, but he's all nerves. And, you know, the cigarettes really calm him down. Oh, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. That explains the drinking, too. <laughs> he's a stressed out little guy. So... Kitty's wondering, like, why didn't Proudstar kill us? He totally could have. Uh, why did he save our lives? And Wolverine's like, who can say, darling? The only thing for us to do is slog and scrap our way to the finish and make sure we're among the survivors. Isn't that what the X-Men do best? I read in the files that John Proudstar was pretty decent because I read the files. Like, everybody reads files. Do you read the files? Everybody's supposed to read the files. It's like a thing. It's like a, it's, it's one of the classes. There's, like, uh, you know, world civilization with Professor X and then... The Files. That's that's a class. The Files 101. <laughs> Johnny was a lot like me, Wolverine says. Uh, and then he says, shoot, because some light uh, uh, hits them, and it's the Sekbots. And Rachel awakens. Rogue's like, at last, Sleeping Beauty awakes. Don't make fun, Rogue. This isn't fair. I failed you. Yeah, Rachel feels like she kind of uh, panicked because of the whole uh, well to to follow orders because of her sort of thing. Um, she is now able to sense Logan and Kitty's thoughts, though. Um, uh, they're they're fighting hard, but they're outnumbered. They had they having a prayer, and Rogue asks her to telepathically. Uh, lead them to her but she still can't do it she's still unable to push forward past this this old memories that she has and um rogue says well then give me the power yeah and that's when she she doesn't want to do that rogue will know what's going on right and she's like what am i gonna do if i if i do that uh rogue will know what i'm uh what's going on in my past and i'm already not ready to tell them that's when nightcrawler teleports in uh, and he's got a different plan. Uh, he wants Rachel to psychically use her power to find him a place to teleport. Uh, you know, it's a plan. He's a leader. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess he's he's actually pulling a little bit of the leadership card out here. And, uh, but Rachel's like, but it's too risky. Uh, I can give you a mental image, but it'll be blurry. It won't be accurate. It'll be vague. And Nightcrawler's like... Um, uh, you don't need to accompany me. Just feed the image into my mind. And she says, well, if you're willing to take the risk, I guess I can too. That's my brave girl. Yeah, I wish. So uh, he's, he's becoming a little bit more of a leader. Uh, so Rogue flies off with Firestar's unconscious body. And, uh, you know, Night- or Colossus is like, I will stay here and return as soon as Nightcrawler uh, comes back. I wish they had made more of a big deal out of uh, Nightcrawler actually taking a leadership role in this. Cause like 
it, it, they don't even really talk about it. Like nobody says, Hey, like Wolverine could pat him on the back later. You really pulled your, uh, you really pulled your weight in the end there. Good job, buddy. Uh, yeah. The, the other thing I don't quite care for about this issue is there's like two set pieces, which is basically uh, stock rooms inside of NORAD. And then like the outside of the like blanket covered, um, blackbird it's just it's not is very the, dynamic is the blanket supposed to prevent you from seeing the night the night the the black whatever bird. blackbird i think they threw the blanket over it and then they put snow on top of the blanket to uh yeah to to hide to camouflage the blackbird which seems silly but whatever <laughs> anyways yeah so back on the airplane uh a man says open your eyes old man the end of our life the end of your life is at hand, and it is Thunderbird Mark II. Yes, he has finally come uh, tete-a-tete with the professor. This is this is what the whole issue is coming down to, is this face-off. Uh, the professor is unable to side-scan him because he's too weak. Uh, instead, he's going to rely on talking to him. Um, there's nothing to lose by fighting, James, since whatever I do, uh, it w- uh, since whatever I do, you plan to take my life. Isn't that so? Smart man, go to the head of the class, but gutsy too. I'll give you that. I'm kind of doing a Wolverine for that. <laughs> I haven't really figured out Thunderbird yet. Well, you don't want to do like the traditional Native American voice because that would be racist. Yeah, that's where I started and I felt bad about right, it. Right, right, right. <laughs> that's why I had to stop doing the uh, Hispanic voice for uh, Empath because it's just, just too racist. That's not what we're hearing well, it's, about it's, on the Danger Room podcast. No racism. It's not we, it's not racism because we do everybody equally bad. So, <laughs> yeah. but you know, we're not racist, therefore our our stereotypical impressions are not racist, I hope. Maybe we are racist, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I hope not. I hope not too. So the professor- you heard it here first, we may or may not be racist. We're pretty sure we're not, but there's a possibility that we are. We're we're leaning towards the first, but you be the final to judge. Uh, the professor's thinking here, he's like, oh man, I got gassed and now my psi powers are all dead. I can't project thoughts. I mean, I could mind strike this boy if I wanted to, but I can't. Uh, so I got to rely on my intellect and my intelligence. But uh, yeah, so I'm going to use my mind and say, all right, we can fight. But you know, this isn't you. I knew your brother. He's a pretty good dude. And I think if you learned anything from him, you'd also be a pretty good dude. So are you good, well, dude? The professor, the, the professor makes a point that uh, do you really think that your brother, who you respect and uh, admire, was coerced by me to join the X-Men? Uh, you, you know him better than anybody, and you know that he wanted to do this, and that kind of turns the tide for Thunderbird. Thunderbird's like, stop playing with my mind, old man. Shut your mouth. You killed John, and I'm going to kill you. I got this knife. Johnny taught me how to use it. I'm gonna use it on you. We get four panels of the knife. We get a where we get closer and closer, and as we get closer, the knife is shaking and shaking, and it, he drops the knife. He doesn't want to do it. Mm-mm. That's when Roke shows up and says, "Professor, I got Firestar's powers. You want me to incinerate the little creep?" Uh, the professor's like, "Leave him be, Rogue James. Listen to me, a coward." You're not a coward because you couldn't kill me. You're brave. Uh, you honored your your whatever to your brother. You wouldn't want to desecrate the memory. So you are a warrior. Or, you know, something like that. And scene. Pretty much. All right, back at the mansion. We, we kind of debrief. Uh, we got uh, everybody's back here. Empath and Roulette, they're passed out upstairs. So they can't cause any trouble. 
Uh, Rachel, she's back up to snuff. Firestar, she's kind of she's kind of in the fetal position because she's kind of like really the gravity of what she's done is kind of sinking in. Um, but uh, Rogue, she bursts in. She she found she found Lockheed. God knows where he's been this whole time. And Kitty is very happy to see like Lockheed. Uh, I was I was never so scared. I thought I'd never see you again. Thanks a lot, Rogue. I really owe you. And uh, uh, Thunderbird, he's in his plain clothes, and he's like, "Well, what's gonna happen to us? You know, we caused a lot of trouble." And uh, you stay or go as you wish. I don't care. I'm the leader. <laughs> kind of, even though the professor's here, and he's gonna do a lot of talking in a minute. Uh, and uh, they're like, "Well, I guess if you're not gonna punish us, I guess we're gonna." Uh, uh, Thunderbird's gonna take Empath and Roulette back to Massachusetts, back to the uh miss frost's uh institute and rogue's like what now nah, who's been brainwashed you can't go back to them and firestar wants to go back too and they are a bit surprised but it, it turns out that like that's that's their family um that's like the x-men they want to go back to their friends and the, the folks that are their family and so it makes sense but hopefully going forward they will be uh better buds i don't know I guess just the way that the comics portray uh, Emma Frost, the Hellfire Club, and the Hellions, you almost think that or they're they're portrayed with like a very two dimensional, cartoonish evilness. So now to see kind of this humanization of like, well, they did some bad things, but they're still my buds. On the one hand, is kind of refreshing, but on the other hand, it's basically a one eighty from everything we've seen from them up to this point. I'm okay with the one eighty as long as it's like you said, refreshing. Yeah. And the other thing, I didn't realize that uh, Firestar became a Hellion. Yeah, we never saw that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, but, uh, you know, the professor is like, well, I understand. I pray the White Queen proves deserving of such trust should circumstances change. However, Angelica, you will always have a place here. Uh, technically, I think as chronologically goes, uh, as far as the issues were released, this is the first ever appearance of Firestar. Uh, I don't think issues one or two, which we covered of the Firestar miniseries, have been released yet. Um, they they are mentioned somewhere in a footnote in this issue. No. Nope. So they're, they're no. No, I mean you are correct. Uh, you are correct. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, this is this is the first appearance of Firestar chronologically. The issues that we already covered on the podcast were written after this issue, but take place before this issue. What I don't know, and you might know, is did she first appear in The Amazing Spider-Friends or Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends? Is she created for that? I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, she definitely I she, did with Spider-Man and Iceman, but I don't know which came first. I think that that show might have come first. I could be totally wrong on that, but I feel like I scanned a Wikipedia at some point, and maybe I'm just thinking of Harley Quinn. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, all right, so Thunderbird here, he's going to go collect his people, and he's like, well, you know, the TV's been saying some pretty bad things about the X-Men. Maybe I could turn myself in, and, and that would take the heat off of you. And uh, the professor's like, don't worry about it. Nothing was ruined. Nothing was hurt. We, it was all repaired. Uh, we've, surpri- uh, we've survived worse. Don't worry about it. You don't need to spend the rest of your life behind bars. You're a good man. Yeah, so as Wolverine suggested earlier in the issue, this is a turning point for the X-Men. They are now wanted outlaws. And that's 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 the new order. That's how it's going from here on out. Epilogue. So finally, uh, not finally, <laughs> finally this issue is almost over. No, the epilogue. Uh, across town, 
We got uh, it's Jamie Rodriguez. You remember him, right, Adam? Yes. Uh, he was the guy that uh, momentarily was dead. Yes. Uh, through Kulan Goth's little amulet thing. But uh, I don't know. Things were reversed and Nimrod saved his life. And so he's at the dinner table with, I think, his kids and his wife and his father. And they're talking about, oh, these, oh, well, the father's talking about, like, oh, these dirty mutants. And we got to round them all up. And Jamie Rodriguez is like, oh, that's a stupido, Luis. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Some muties are good, some muties are bad. It's just the way things are. What if they said that about an Hispanic or a black person? Luis is like, it's not the same thing. I know you. He's like, whoa, what if I was a mutant or your grandson? And... Luis is just not bending. Luis is like, I thought I knew you, but I do not know you. And that's when Luis is like, oh, wow. What about that Nimrod guy you got in your room? He kind of gives me the willies. Yeah, so uh, the last time we saw uh, the uh, Jamie Rodriguez, he was, uh, Nimrod stopped Kulan Goth from killing him, actually. So uh, now Nimrod, uh, having no place to go, presumably, is uh, staying at his house. So he's, he's a weird-looking dude, and he acknowledges that in the next couple, in the next page, in a couple panels. He hops on a computer, which is equipped with a 80s or uh, early 90s-style modem. He's able to get onto the BBSs and hack into mainframes. He admits that the computers are primitive, but he's able to get all the information he needs. The news articles, the history books, nothing matches anything he's familiar with. So he surmises that not only did he travel in time, but he traveled cross time you know, effectively to a different reality. So he's like, well, what do I do next? Uh, my primary mission, Nimrod's primary mission, that is, uh, is to exterminate all mutants. But if this is a different, uh, if the parameters have changed in this timeline, shouldn't the mission change? Uh, I'll have to get some more data, uh, which he immediately gets in the form of a news article where somebody comes on and says, uh, the supervillain Juggernaut has been sighted in Lower Manhattan. Police SWAT units are on the alert, and the Avengers have been notified. Stay tuned for further details. So he just said, like, he's going to put this a pin in the idea of killing all mutants, but as soon as he hear, hears that Juggernaut's loose, who's not a mutant, he says, all right, I know what I need to do. I'm going to get the Juggernaut, and then I'm going to kill the X-Men. It sort of makes sense, even in a cheesy sort of way. It's uh, he he's He is jumping to conclusions. I'll give you that. Um, it is totally based on the TV, but maybe that's his new set of parameters is, uh, you know, I'm going to watch the T I'm going to watch the TV. And every time I see a bad person on TV, I'm going to get him. He, he does preface that, that he's going to get the outlaws and he's going to start with the juggernaut and the X-Men who, uh, I guess have been the most recent news articles, uh, or news, news, uh, bits on television. Well, they were on the TV as Jamie Rodriguez and his uh, brother Louise was just talking about. Is it his brother as or you his did in your, in your, I have no idea, but but your accent was amazing. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so that's it. Uh, that, that is it for X-Men number 193. I think as we've mentioned numerous times, uh, it is definitely a jumping off point for many new stories. Um, going into this, I don't think there's a whole lot of unresolved stories. I mean, I guess Rachel's kind of unresolved, but are there any other real unresolved storylines? Uh, well, I don't know. I honestly, that you're putting me on the spot. I have no idea. Sorry. We um, haven't, we haven't recorded in a while. I don't even remember who these X people are. <laughs> I don't even know what an X man is. And, and actually, as I said, for a jumping off point, you could read this issue and almost instantly understand who Rachel is and what her story is without having read her time shift or any of the other stuff that's happened. So 
maybe you know it's been four or five years since uh, Giant Size X Men number one, and and Chris Claremont's experimenting with this idea of you know creating a jumping off point for new readers, and it came in the form of X Men number one ninety three. It's it's the hundredth issue, so they had to do something, and I guess somebody somewhere decided that they were going to. Uh, refresh the whole system and uh it's good i liked it so there you have it that uh that was the 200th uh x-men danger room comics commentary podcast episode live in video albeit a little bit blurry video so maybe for the 400th issue uh, adam and i will have 1080p cameras even though the rest of the world will be on 16k right <laughs> well <laughs> oh uh maybe <laughs> we will always be a step behind when it comes to technology. Uh, and to, to kind of close things out a little bit, just wanted to share one of the voicemails that we received. And, uh, uh, and then we'll just go from there. So here we go. Congratulations on reaching episode 200. It's been wonderful listening to you all 200 episodes. With all the fantastic voice acting that you've been doing, really should be getting paid for that. And the commentary and just bringing back the comics that I used to read and love and filling in the gaps of the ones I'd never had. So once again, thank you for the 200 episodes, and I look forward to listening to the 200 and the 200 after that, the 200 after that. I mean, they kept making next books. I think he just put us on the hook for 600 more episodes of the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. So visit us at www.xmenpodcast.com. Email us at dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. Call us 501-GET-X-Men. You can follow us at Danger Room Go on Twitter. We're also at facebook.com forward slash dangerroompodcast. Go out to iTunes, find the podcast, subscribe, leave us a review, leave us some feedback. Uh, we really enjoy that type of thing. Yes. Hey, we're here for the second half of the show. Uh, we are no longer recording live, so we're back to the regular audio podcast that you people are so familiar with. And we just want to say thank you to everybody who tuned in and chatted along with us and listened and laughed and hated us and um, stuff and junk. And if you didn't get a chance to check out the live podcast, that's okay because you can head off to YouTube and watch it. You can actually, I think, go to uh, xmenpodcast.com forward slash livecast, and the link to the video is published there. So, hey, Adam, we did some extra reading, didn't we? We sure did. What are we going to uh, talk about first? I don't know. We could, uh, do you want to get Dazzler over with? I do. <laughs> Dazzler was a very uninspired filler issue uh and i got a spoiler it looks like it really gets kind of good next issue but but not this issue uh in this issue nothing of any consequence whatsoever happens um, oh <laughs> so let me summarize briefly her old friend diana who we have not met before i don't think anyways uh gives dazzler a call calling dazzler to her house she goes over to her house only to discover that diana has died six months ago uh, and it turns out that Revenge Incorporated is involved and Diana was turned into like this kind of pre-programmed killing machine. Uh, and in order to get away from their clutches, Diana faked her death. But in reality, she was hooked up into a computer that was controlling a house and her father and her were there to exact their revenge on the people from Revenge Incorporated. Uh, and by which they did by getting the people from Revenge Incorporated over to their house 
uh, and, and Dazzler, of course, she inadvertently bumbled her way over there and uh, got herself involved. She finds Diana hooked up to uh, a computer, and uh, Diana's like, oh, I just wanted some compassion, and I wanted to unload everything that's going on in my mind. And now that you know this, I must kill you! So Diana's going to kill Dazzler. Dazzler escapes, and she's running around the house. And uh, uh, this is actually the first issue of Dazzler where like people are dying. Like These Revenge Incorporated people are getting killed. Uh, Diana's father gets killed he gets stabbed in the back by one of the revenge incorporated people uh and then eventually they uh, make it back to uh diana's kind of computer room uh in which point diana is like i had to the computer was taking me over and i had to fool it so i had to tell it that i was going to kill you but really I wanted you to come back here so that you could help me kill the computer, which in essence will kill me, but it's okay because I don't want to live like this anymore. Uh, and so then Diana self-destructs, Dazzler escapes, uh, along with another guy from Revenge Incorporated who's like, ooh, this Dazzler person's seen too much. I got to kill her. Uh, but as he gets away from the rubble of the exploded house, he's like, boy, I really should kill her, but I'm tired of all this Revenge Incorporated stuff. I'm going to stop revenging things. I'm done. And he walks away. That's the end of Revenge Incorporated. What is it? Incorporated? Yeah. I like that name, though. It's a cool name. Revenge Incorporated. <laughs> I mean, it's the end of Revenge Incorporated as it as it pertains to the pages of Dazzler. I'm not sure if it continues. Could you start a business called Revenge Incorporated? I feel like that would be difficult to, like, get by. Like, what would your advertisements be? Need revenge? <laughs> Call Revenge Incorporated. We do not do murders. <laughs> no actual revenging occurs. Uh, I, I, You could totally make a company called Revenge Incorporated. If it doesn't already exist, though, I would be very surprised. You mean in the real world? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 not, I'm no registrar of businesses, but I assume since you're not like, you know, swearing or, or you know, other things stuff that revenge incorporated would be okay for a name oh you could have a business called revenge incorporated and you could make it completely not about revenge or you could make it like an exterminator business and your revenge incorporated is you getting revenge on all those nasty pests in your house i like the idea of wacky revenge as well like sticking banana peels in people's <laughs> cars or something <laughs> i think that follows a legal gray line yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> Adam, did you do any reading this week? I did uh, uh, lots of stuff. Uh, Alpha Flight number 22, um, Aurora has gone into her alternate personality of Jean Marie, um, and she is reunited with Northstar. They had had a rift prior. Okay. And uh, for some reason, they head off to the circus, where very disappointingly, nobody once says Rube. <sighs> It's not a real circus. Not a real Marvel circus. <laughs> they fight a giant fat lady named Pink Pearl and a bunch of other uh, circus folks, including a, a very bony guy whose name I think is Bones or maybe just Bony. Um, Aurora regains her memory during the fight and um, obviously the uh, good guys win and she wants nothing to do with Northstar again. And she has actually discovered that he formerly was a member of a terrorist group and she's going to try to get his membership with Alpha Flight uh, rescinded so that she never has to deal with him again. Revoked? Revoked. Okay. 
Uh, also, Heather Hudson spots her dead husband, uh, Guardian, uh, James McDonald Hudson. And uh, unfortunately, he disappears into the crowd, leaving her to wonder if she is crazy or not. He's dead, isn't he? He is dead. Or is he? It's the Marvel Universe. Who knows? Uh, Captain Britain number five was another black and white short. Um, last where we left off with Captain Britain was that he was grabbed by Gatecrasher and the TechNet, who I feel like will uh, have a recurring occurrence, uh, recurring um, characters in Excalibur. But uh, for now, this is their first or second appearance, and they it turns out they got the wrong Captain Britain, and there's another uh, Captain Britain imposter running around who is infiltrating the Braddock Manor as they speak, hanging around with Betsy. Uh, Captain Britain runs back to fight that second Captain Britain, which they do. Um, and Captain Britain wins, and the Gatecrasher and the Technic take the imposter away. But in the last panel, we learn that they didn't take the imposter away. They took their real Captain Braddock and we get a super creepy panel of the imposter making out with Betsy Braddock. Ew. Hot. <laughs> New Defenders number 143 is a moon dragon story where she fights the dragon entity inside of her and loses to it. Um, I didn't know there was a dragon entity inside of her. This is news to me. Uh, the dragon entity defeats uh, Angel, Gargoyle, and Valkyrie. And that's where we end off with that one. New Mutants number 26. Actually, I'll save that one for last. ROM number 66, final issue of ROM. I keep forgetting to mention that Steve Ditko did all the art for these ROM issues. Oh, interesting. That's kind of a big deal. That's a huge deal. Um, so the art is solid. Um, I think this is the last issue of ROM as well. Uh, because in the last issue, they killed the wraith homeworld which i think was just called wraith world so the only dire wraiths that are left are the ones that are left on earth um there is a moral debate amongst the superheroes if you recall last issue all of the superheroes showed up and so they're kind of figuring out what do we do with the dire wraiths wolverine for instance who is also there says they deserve capital punishment bub hmm. um it's another poorly written wolverine so you can imagine what that's like. Sure. Uh, Rom does what Rom does and banishes them all to limbo, uh, which kind of defeats the whole purpose of the conversation. Uh, he There is a farewell moment where he leaves Rick Jones and Brandy Clark behind. Uh, I guess Brandy Clark reveals that she loves Rom and Rom also loves her, but he still has to go because he's not human and he's got other stuff to do. I he's love right. you. <laughs> uh brandy clark also seems to be in love with rick jones at the same time i don't know how that works it was weird hmm. it was very sudden he's a well he's i don't know <laughs> he's a guy that hangs out with superheroes who wouldn't like him um so he leaves uh and there is a reflection on how awesome forge was and how he really helped him out which is nice and uh there's also a reflection on how uh, terrible human being Henry Peter Gyrich is with Henry Peter Gyrich sitting in his space office stewing about uh, if I had gotten my way, I would have killed everybody. Somehow, somehow these superheroes and, and Rom and the mutants, they all work together. 
and they made it so that we couldn't kill them all. What a bunch of jerks. <laughs> Something like that. Um, Nubians number 26. Did you read this one? No, I didn't. All right. So a lot of stuff happens in this. The main story is that um, the cop and the nurse from the Demon Bear story, you remember them? I do. From, uh, I think that was New Mutants 18, 19, and 20. They got transformed into Indians, Indian uh, spirit people. And they have all sorts of uh, super strength now. They're totally different. Um, they get attacked by Legion. Is this we've seen a little bit of Legion in prior issues of New Mutants, right? I don't. I forgot to flip back to find out. Yes, um, he's still. Uh, we do. We really don't know much about Legion other than he is completely crazy and he is uh, sending out these um, kind of psi characters that are not him and speak in Arabic. We don't know what that's about yet, but he puts the cop and the nurse from the demon berry story into a vegeta- vegetative state. The professor and rain and uh, Danny Moonstar, Doug Ramsey, who is now an official member of new Mut- the new mutants and warlock show up to on mere Isle, bringing Banshee back Banshee still recovering from his beating from Thunderbird. As we just discussed, um, he's very happy to be home. And they are, they are there to help with the Legion situation. Uh, it turns out that the professor knows Legion's mom, Gabriel Heller, from, I believe it was X-Men 191 or 196 or something like that. Um, or no, uh, one. No, I got my numbers all sick, all mixed up. One, one. The issue where uh, the professor had the flashback with Magneto. Yeah. And he meets that woman who is in a... Uh, uh, a state that he he's the only one who was able to get her out of, and they have like a weird little affair. What don't we know that Legion is the professor's son? I'm not sure because I I feel like we do, but they don't mention it in this story at all. Okay, I thought there was an issue of something that we read where Moira McTaggart knew, or there's definitely a couple of issues where they specifically say uh, we revealing this to the professor is going to break his heart. Right, right, right. Okay. But um, other than that, I don't know if we know that the professor is uh, is Legion's father yet. Okay. I, we obviously do. Yeah, yeah. spoilers. Um, so yeah, Gabriel Heller is, is I forget which issue for she, she is from, but it was, it was the, it was the flashback issue. I did look it up before this and I forgot to write it down. Um, no worries. No worries. Um, additionally, we get a scene with Emma Frost, uh, punishing empath for the, uh, the issue 193. Okay. Uh, where she kind of implies that he sort of manipulated the whole situation to his own advantage, which he, she, which he did. She's especially angry about, uh, the Firestar thing, uh, cause she's been working on Firestar for a while. And I think that's that's where we get the uh, the thing that I kept mentioning, uh, the, the caption saying, check out Firestar recently in issue 193 of Uncanny X-Men plus her own limited series coming soon. Oh. Empath, um, uh, there, there's, a, there's a cool little moment where Empath says, you can't talk to me like that. And then takes over Emma Frost's mind and he's like, you love me. And she's like, I do. I love you. 
And he's like, ah, now I rule the school. And then she uh, turns out that she's faking him out. And she says, no, no, I was testing to see just how much of a jerk you were. And I was right. You're a jerk. Do that again and I will kill you. Wow. It's a cool scene. Yeah. Uh, we get another uh, scene of Magneto and Lee Forrester back on the island. Uh, Magneto has a bad dream, which shoots him out the window of the castle where they are sleeping. And um, are they, while they are falling to their death. Are they like lovers now or something? Not yet. Oh, okay. By the time I'm done talking. <laughs> Sorry. They will be. <laughs> Spoilers. Um Lee Forrester sees Magneto's bed fly out the window and she jumps into the bed to attempt to wake up Magneto, knowing that if she can't, they're both going to be dead. Um, She, of course, wakes him up and they land safely and they start making out and um, and they become lovers that night. That's weird. (laughs) She tells him all about Scott. (laughs) You're so much bigger than Scott. I know. Yes, I've seen it. Um, <laughs> uh, other than that, uh, back to the Legion story. Uh, oh, we also get a scene where Rain is uh, called a monster. We meet we meet Reverend Krang for the Re- Reverend Craig, not Krang. That's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the first time in in uh, New Mutants because uh, we met him in that classic X Men issue. We did. Um, so we get, we finally get to see Reverend Krang, Craig. I can't not say Krang for some reason. Um, and she, uh, he does the, the usual Reverend Craig thing. He, he calls her a monster and says, you other kids shouldn't be hanging around with her. Um, and she kind of frets about that for the rest of the issue. She goes to uh, Moira for some comfort and they both get attacked by Legion. And the issue ends with an explosion in the room that they were in, very similar to the explosion that began the issue with the cop and the nurse. So I'm guessing a next issue, they will also be in a vegetative state. Wow. Sounds like I should be reading some uh, new mutants. Yeah. There's stuff happening that is, is uh, I think important for what's going on with the X-Men right now. All right. Well, did you do any other reading? Um, no, I did not. Uh, we did get a couple of questions. We got two questions from the people that are still in the chat. Nobody's in the chat anymore. I left it open just to see what was what was uh, what was going on. And we got we got a question about what other podca- podcast we listen to from Weapon X. Um, and I think the answer is none. Is yeah. that true for you as well? Yeah, and it's not that I don't like or respect any of the other podcasts uh i I just worry too much about being influenced by other people's podcasts um i i at some point i would like to check out maybe like the fantastic uh fantastic cast because i i've not really read fantastic four um and that would not inform or change my opinion of the x-men comics but i i just don't listen to other x-men Comics, because what I don't want to find myself doing is that I'm, you know, if, if Rachel and, and, and Miles explain the X-Men and they're an episode behind us or ahead of us and they say something, I don't want to catch myself saying the same thing on our podcast that they've said, uh, just because, you know, it's subconsciously back there and I remember this factoid, but really it came from them and I end up saying the exact same thing that they do. Uh, I don't know if that would happen, uh, but I don't want to find out. 
So I'm sure they're good podcasts. I, everybody should go check them out. The more X-Men stuff out there, the merrier. But, um, you know, maybe when we finish our podcast, I'll go back and listen to all of their podcasts. <laughs> and that goes with the Uncanny X-Cast and... Um, there's some other ones too, aren't there? Yes. Um, I'm in the same boat as you. I actually, I used to listen to, uh, a lot more podcasts, not just comic book podcasts. Uh, I used to listen to iFanboy and, um, something else. I, but I, I, once we started doing ours, I, like you, I stopped listening to, actually, I stopped listening to pretty much all podcasts. Uh, not because of our podcast, just, uh, the comic ones kind of because of our podcast, but um, most of the others just because I, I ran out of time. Yeah, the only other, I mean, I listen to two, I don't even listen to our podcast yet. I'm like, I live our podcast, so I don't need to Yeah, listen. I don't listen. I used to listen to our podcast. I don't listen to it anymore. I mean, you you got to edit it. And you end up listening to it like two or three times before you actually even listen to it off of iTunes. But the other podcast that I listen to, uh, I listen to Hollywood Babylon with Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman. And then I also listen to another podcast called Back in My Play uh, with a guy named Kevin Larrabee who interviews all sorts of people in the video game industry about classic video games. Uh, and he has a very well-prepared uh, podcast that he does talking about that stuff, uh, much uh, like the opposite of what we do, where we just kind of wing everything. <laughs> I also used to listen to Hollywood Babylon, but I, I stopped that. I also I listened to like the first 20 episodes of Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. Oh. Uh, it was all about Jay's drug uh, years. And then they started just riffing, and I completely lost interest. Yeah, I listened to that podcast as well. Uh, I don't so much anymore, but you're right. There's definitely there's the early years, or early episodes where they'd go through his drug addiction, which is fairly interesting and whatnot. And then it definitely goes to like this very uh, riffy, uh, kind of draggy, meandering podcast. Uh, but then it switches... It it definitely does this arc where it goes back up and they uh, definitely put together like some outlines because uh, I think they must have been aware of their you know, aimless meanderings in those episodes. So it got better, uh, but I kind of stopped listening to that as well. So there you have it. The other question that we got are uh, from Derek Hill uh, asked, what was our what is our favorite episode so far? And is it because of our review or the issue? Oh my goodness! The fav- I, our, our favorite episode of the Danger Room, the X Men Comics Commentary Podcast of, of our show, I believe. Yes. Oh, um, I will answer first Go. so that you can think about it. Um, honestly, my favorite episode, uh, I think, is number eight or number nine. It's the one where we first introduce Kesar, and just because I feel like that Kesar is the best impression we ever came up with <laughs> okay and that it is uh it is the height of our zaniness that we turned kesar the savage land um guy into a a french pansy <laughs> so the height of our podcast was the eighth episode yeah i know it's kind of sad <laughs> we never we never really met that height <laughs> I, other favorite, uh, I it's kind of like favorite voices. I I think our, my other favorite voice was uh, Kid Wolverine. Do you Kid? remember that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The early early X Men issues where we had teenage Wolverine. Yep, those are fun. Gosh, uh, no, I I know what my favorites are. My favorites, and I've said this many times before. My favorites are the midi- middle series between the old X Men and the Uncanny X Men. 
Uh, and the reason for that, um, uh, we I don't know, we read a whole lot of comics to complete a story that I guess I never thought I would know. And it turned out that after you did all the research to find all those issues, there you know, wasn't a substantial amount of X-Men stuff, but X-Men stuff was happening uh, in between the pages of the Marvel Universe. And then so we read through all of those, and it filled in a whole bunch of gaps. Uh, I think we had a lot of fun with it because there was, you know, like the Wheel of Mutants. There's a lot of goofy stuff happening in those pages, and we we worked our, well, I don't want to say magic, but I had fun reading those and, and kind of riffing along with those. So those, I think there's three issues, three episodes, uh, and it's it's the content and it's the, I just remember having fun reading them and then just having fun uh, going through all of them. Cool. So there you go. I, th- I think you're not alone. I, 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 uh, I recall that a lot of people liked those. Sadly, there's, there's really nothing uh, else like that at this point. The best you're going to get is these backup issues that we do. Yeah, we've tried to kind of do one-off issues that are that, but they don't seem to have that pizzazz. No, no, no. So there you go. I think that's everything. All right, man. Uh, then thanks for 200 uh, episodes. Um, I guess we'll try to do 200 more. Let's shoot for 100 more and then another 100 after that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then until uh, till next time, my name's Jeremy. Yes, I agree. Thank you for 200 episodes. My name's Adam. And until next time, the Danger Room is closed. Danger Room.